And then uh, for us in here, we're going to the book of John chapter 17. John 17. And um, so this is our Sunday school hour. We do some teaching. In the next hour, we will tr- attempt to make a difference through teaching and preaching. Um, I'm actually preaching on the love of Christ today uh, in the morning and in the afternoon, in the evening service. So uh, nice, fun topics. Uh, God's love in, uh, in Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, God's love and represented in our love for others, John chapter 13, will be tonight by the grace of God. Uh, and uh, we'll preach those, but today we, in this hour, we teach, and uh, we've been uh, in the life of Christ for now a few years, and uh, we are discussing the prayers of Christ, the different places in the Bible uh, where, where we uh, see Christ praying, all right? And uh, when we come to this one, um, this is the greatest of those praying times, the longest recorded prayer. And uh, see, going home, we have problems with our hearing thing. He's going to get his hearing. Yeah, I thought that. Uh, John chapter 17, the entire, the entire chapter is a prayer of Jesus, praying to the Father right before he's crucified. And uh, it is not the prayer of Garden of Gethsemane that happens in chapter 18, This is a prayer that he probably prayed in the upper room. So here, look at verse number 1, and uh, verse 1, we'll read verses 1 through 5 for today. These words uh, spake Jesus, and lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. And um, the prayer that we're studying here is the longest and probably in length and probably the greatest of these It'll take us a few weeks, I'm sure, to get through studying this section of the Bible. Uh, One author has written that this prayer is one of the richest and most sublime statements to be found anywhere, even in the scriptures themselves. And there is a sense, I want you to catch this quote, there is a sense in which one preaches it with fear and trembling, lest one may in, many, in any way detract from its greatness and from its value. The truth, can I be transparent with you? I preach whatever I believe the Lord tells me to preach. But I have, I have never preached a sermon on this entire chapter. You know why? Because I consider it to be one of the most sacred parts of the Bible. And in, even in 28 years of ministry and you know, several Bible degrees, I don't feel adequate to digest its complete content. It is just one of those passages that when we get done, uh, as uh, another, another commentator said, the wisest Christian will always confess that there are things here which cannot fully be fully explained. And I, I think that there is something here about this chapter of Scripture. I remember in 
in Bible college, uh, undergrad Bible school, uh, one of the assignments for the preaching class, learning homiletics, we called it the uh, pulpit speech class, one of the assignments was to write a sermon that uh, would take the entire chapter and explain it. And so academically, I wrote down an outline. But that outline has sat since I was in Bible college, whatever, 28 years, 30 years ago. And uh, so as we get into this, I just, I'm just i saying those things for you to understand that this passage is really special. In here are the words, like in verse number 4, uh, in verse 3, and this is life eternal. The Lord says, you want to know eternal life? When you die, you want to know for sure you're going to heaven? He said, I'm going to tell you about it right here. And so the doctrine of salvation is, is, is clearly stated. And many other truths concerning uh, doctrinal truths and we would say the intercessory prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we call this the high priestly prayer because Jesus is our high priest. And the high priest, what it means by priesthood, is misunderstood today. But a priest's position, which is nothing in the New Testament, it's only Christ. Okay, 1 Timothy 2, verse number 4. It says there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So a pastor, the word pastor means a shepherd. My opportunity, my my joy, I could call it my responsibilities, I hate to call it a job, but the work of a pastor is to go to and, 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 and to take the, the, the flock, all of us are sheep, and to feed the flock and help them to be directed in their relationship to Christ, the great shepherd. All I am is an under-shepherd. I am not between you and Jesus. I am here to push you, to prod you, those that don't know Christ, to introduce you to Jesus. Okay? But the job of a priest was that he was a go-between, a mediator. Here is God in the presence in the Old Testament, beyond that heavy veil in the temple or tabernacle. And here are the people of God, believers, and they did not have personal access to the presence of God. But once a year, the high priest would take the offering of blood and go beyond the veil, and the people that were represented, he carried on his chest even the inscription of all the tribes of Israel. And he would bear before them for the atonement as an example of what Jesus would do. Well, Jesus is our high priest. He is also the sacrifice for sins. He's the atonement payment, the propitiation, as they call it from the Old Testament and the New Testament. He is by His Himself bearing His own blood before the throne of God in heaven. Not in an earthly tabernacle, but in the real heavenly tabernacle, the temple of God in heaven, where the blood of Jesus was offered as the eternal sacrifice for the sins of all mankind. And uh, that is the only go-between. And when Jesus died on the cross in Matthew 27, along about verse 54 or 55, it said that He cried with a loud voice. And uh, then He gave up the ghost. And the Bible says, now He was right outside that, 
existing walls of Jerusalem at that time. And, uh, but he said he was there hanging on Golgotha's, uh, on the cross on the Golgotha hill. And yonder in the Temple Mount, that big thick veil was a, th- was a foot thick. From the top to the bottom, not, not somebody coming and pulling it apart, but in a miracle of God, the top ripped open something that was never allowed, that the Holy of Holies was ripped open and the curtain moved, so symbolizing that at the payment of the blood of Jesus Christ for our sins, individuals who used to stand outside and a priest would represent them to God, now an individual can come straight into the presence of God. Where Hebrews says that because of Christ, he says we have access. He calls us to come boldly unto the throne of grace to obtain mercy and help in time of need. Why? Because the payment has been finished. We no longer have to sacrifice animals. And I'm kind of glad, Frank, you know. That was kind of a mess. You know, they come out there and kill the animal, pour its blood out, cut it open, burn its entrails and everything, and uh, some of it they would cast aside. I mean, there were specific instructions about this, but one thing you saw everywhere in the worship of God in the Old Testament was blood. Very big mess. And the stench of burning flesh constantly. But in the cross, Jesus finished all those payments. Every one of those pointed to Jesus, and Jesus came. And praise God, He died on the cross and shed His blood, and the atonement has been made. And access to God is direct. And the only priesthood that exists today biblically is that Jesus is our only priest. One mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Say, Pastor, there are people today that call themselves priests. It is a misunderstanding of God's Word. It is a misapplication of God's word. The priesthood is forever gone. And Jesus, the Bible says, ever liveth to make intercession for us. Hebrews chapter 7, I think, verse 20. He ever liveth. So that the priests of the Old Testament, they got replaced. Why? Because they died. Aaron died before they got in. Uh, While they were in the wilderness, his son Eliezer took over, his son Phinehas, and then so on and so forth, all the way till uh, they were, uh, till, 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 for all the way till Christ. Christ was not a priest, he was of the tribe of Judah, remember? And uh, he is not eligible to be a priest after the uh, Levitical priesthood. But he in Hebrews is called a priest as a symbol after the order of Melchizedek, who has appeared only in Genesis, mentioned in Psalms as a prediction that Jesus the Messiah would follow that as the only one. And he never needs replaced. Did you know that? You know why? Because he never dies. He ever liveth to make intercession for us. Ours is a salvation that is complete in Christ Jesus. It needs nothing else. I don't have to build up salvation to something that it isn't. Because it's complete. You don't have to work for it. You can't. Nothing you do and nothing I can do can make it any better. Because Jesus said, it is finished. It's complete. And then he rose from the dead. So this is the greatest of the prayers of Christ. And I I think I told my wife that 
This is part one, verse one through five, just part one. We're going to have three parts in this and uh, probably take more than one week per part. So we're going to be at this a little while, but it's because this is one of the, you ever, all right, I'm going to just, um, I'm going to risk making you all upset with me today, okay? Uh, how many of you are from Idaho? Raise your hand if you're from Idaho. Thank you. I'm, I'm going to risk making all of you upset with me. That um, you know that the soil here is desert and lava rock origination, right? And that if you're going to really have a successful garden, you're going to put a box there and fill it with maybe import your own good black soil, right? Now, I grew up in the Midwest. I grew up in Ohio, okay? Uh, <clears throat> that's better than Indiana or Michigan or anywhere else in the Midwest for soil, okay? Now, this brother grew up right in Pittsburgh, and what happened is the Lord blessed Ohio so much that some of the soil spilled over, and it blessed uh, Pittsburgh area. And, uh, but I'm saying that you, you, when we would start a garden, you could just about go anywhere, turn it over, you just turn it over and chop it up. And it would be as black as black good soil. So that Brother Jack Brown just moved from Indiana. His wife loves to plant, loves to plant. You know what she did? She In the moving truck, she brought a 55-gallon drum and took a bunch of the backyard and brought it over with her. <laughs> Our soil in the Midwest... Uh, and it's true, It's you know, Iowa is not considered part of the Midwest, but Illinois, Iowa... I mean, it's like the breadbasket of the entire world. The government pays them not to grow because we produce so much. Here we have an Iowa farmer right here in front of us. And, uh, you know, I, 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 am, I am kind of partial to that soil, right? Well, this, is, this chapter is not the soil of the high desert. I love being here, by the way. I want to tell you, I just made every Idahoan mad at me because I praise the soil of the Midwest, but I love being here. Amen. So we'll just balance it out. I'm not a farmer anyway. so. Uh, but I'm going to tell you, this, this chapter is not the soil uh, of the high desert. This is richer soil than we have in the state of Ohio. Okay, And it is, it is so full that it will take us a while to get through this chapter. I hope you respect these words. I hope you respect every word of the Lord. But this is really special here today. Yeah, this uh, prayer should be a comfort to every believer. It is a glimpse into the heart of Jesus concerning His interceding for you and I. He prays for us. Literally, the Lord is about to reveal in this chapter that He's going to pray for His disciples. And then He says, not just the disciples, but for all of the saved people. Jesus praying for you. Amen. What a blessing. And the Apostle Paul reports this, and Romans 8.34 says that he is at the right hand of God and maketh intercession for us. And so this marvelous prayer, we could call this the Lord's Prayer. You know the one that everybody states? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You remember that one? And everybody says that's the Lord's Prayer. Yes, yeah, so what happened? That's, you can, it's recorded in the Gospels, but specifically Luke chapter 11 the disciples came to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And uh, so Jesus said, when thou prayest, say, 
Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And, uh, but that, that is a prayer, and you can go on and read it. That is a prayer that is a model prayer. Okay? Yeah, that's in Luke 11. He tells us not to be uh, involved in repetitious prayers. So the Lord wants you to pray and talk to Him from your heart. But that prayer is a wonderful model prayer. But it's a prayer that Jesus never prayed. Why? Because in it, it says, forgive us our sins. Wait a minute, did Jesus ever sin? No. So it was a prayer that He was giving to us as a model, a pattern. This is how Christians should pray. But Jesus never prayed it. But what we have in front of us should be called the Lord's Prayer. And uh, it involves all 26 verses, so I don't think you've... Uh, too many people have memorized it like they have memorized the Lord's Prayer. Tremendous prayer, and it was prayed either in the upper room or shortly after the disciples left the upper room, and uh, they just had had the uh, Lord's Table. So the order of this is they had uh, eaten together a meal, and in that meal Jesus predicts that one is going to betray him, Judas, remember? And then he sends Judas out, because the Lord knew his heart that he was never a believer. He sends Judas out, and then he institutes the Lord's Supper. And then, apparently, it's possible that most of the disciples after that left. They had a, after they instituted the Lord's Supper, they, they had a song of a hymn, and they departed. And then Jesus remained and prayed for you and I. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Uh, and uh, the timing of the prayer t- has good instruction for us. And uh, we, need only, we, o- we not only need to pray in preparation for service, but we also need to pray in preservation of our service. What I mean is here Jesus is working and he's praying that God might do things in, and he's also praying afterwards that God would continue to bless his work with the disciples. Hey, that's the content of he's praying for others. And so he's working with the disciples. He prayed before, prayed, and then he, he worked with them and in instituting the Lord's table. And then afterward, he prays for the preservation. So as a pattern for us, when we're getting ready to serve the Lord, let's say you're going to go out on visitation, you should pray before you go. Okay? You go out on those bus visits, you should pray before you go. I used to pray every day, but there's special preparation to go and serve. And then after you're done, you ought to get alone and pray. For what? That God might use the work that we have done to continue to touch people's lives. So, if somebody would get saved, I hope if there's somebody here that doesn't know Christ for sure, I hope you get saved today. And if you get saved today, uh, all of heaven will rejoice that you repented. Praise God. We want you to get saved. If you get saved, it means you've taken your... Uh, sins and brought them to Christ and your guilt is placed on the cross and Jesus' blood that washes away uh, sin is applied to your life. You become a new creature. Now get this. It's a joyful thing. You get saved. But I can't save you. But I can explain it to you. And after somebody gets saved we will look to God and say God is the one who did the work on the heart of the individual. All of us that are saved here know that. You know who saved me? God did. You know who was sitting there with me? My dad. Did my dad save me? No. But he pointed the scriptures out 
but it is God who does the saving. And uh, so if we really believe God has to be the one that does that, guess what? Then we need to pray for his supernatural intervention before we serve the Lord. Then we serve the Lord, and then after we're done, we pray God do something with our our small efforts and small abilities. Because God has to take us, and it's just us. Just dirty old sinners who got saved by the grace of God, and God is supposed to take our little efforts and work a miracle by those efforts, and that miracle is salvation. It's exciting. We need to preserve the results of our service, and we do so by intercessory prayer. So, we're going to get to this prayer. The prayer in verses 1 through 5, he is speaking to the Father about himself and interacting about doctrines, about things that are involved, about himself. So, part one is the praying for Christ. Part two will come to where he's praying for the disciples. Part three will notice that he backs up and says, I'm going to pray for everyone that comes to Christ, all the Christians. So in this part one, it is called prayer, praying for Christ. You say, does, does, does the Lord pray for himself? It's an amazing thing that as the commentator said, when we get done, we're not going to be able to explain it. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God, one God in three personalities. One God, three persons. You say, can you explain that? It's impossible because on earth we have nothing that's the same. And that's the problem. We don't come, it doesn't fit anything. You know, there's other things that are like that. For instance, eternity is that way. Now we can comprehend eternity future. You know, we say we're going to be, our soul will exist for eternity. But the Bible says that God is from of old, from everlasting, meaning that He has no beginning. Now try to figure that out. You say, Pastor, I just scratched my head until I got no more hair on my head. You know, that's what happened to us, Frank. And I'm losing my hair too. We just, a lot of things we don't understand. We scratch our head too much. And uh, we, uh, but that's what will happen. You don't understand it because we have no comparison in this entire world to eternity past. And we have no comparison for the person of God. He is a great big God. And he reveals himself here. He is God the Son living here, joined in the flesh, that union that is unexplainable, 100% man, 100% God, yet no new personality, God in the flesh. A permanent situation, one mediator between man and God, this is after the resurrection, the man, Christ Jesus, a permanent fixture with Christ. As he is today, we will be in the sense that he has a resurrected body, and we one day will as well. And uh, it is a, it's an amazing prayer, amazing prayer. God the Son praying to God the Father. Right before God the Son and God the Father are separated because of the sin of mankind. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Say, explain that to me. I can't. You say, well, why do you believe in the Trinity if you can't understand it? Well, it's because it's what the book says. All right, We're not here to just say, you know what I believe, and I'm going to write down what I believe. We're here to say, what does the Bible say, and that's what I believe. We're going to trust the Word of God more than we trust our own selves. Okay, That's where faith 
That's where logic is important because the Lord says, come now, let us reason together. We're supposed to use our minds, but that's where re reason comes to the end of itself. And you say, from here on out, we believe what God says. You say, but I don't understand it. Well, frankly, there's a lot of things in this world that you and I don't understand, but we take for granted, right? Mike and I, we, when we were in uh, uh, Bible college, we used to work at a nuclear power plant, right? And uh, we, I don't comprehend all the safety features that makes it so we survived. We're, we're not dead yet, you know? Uh, but we, we had to come to the place where our logic said, hey, you know, they're blowing up atoms in that reactor over there, and uh, that could uh, destroy life. Yes, we understand that, right? I knew that. But we walked in and out of there every day to wash the floors. We were, we were janitorial people. And we cleaned the offices and stripped and waxed the floors and all that, cleaned the carpets. And, um, you know, say, I walked in and out of there every single day, going back five days a week and worked there hours and hours, too many hours. And say, you don't understand how they keep all of those running out of control electrons from hitting me and filling me with radiation. Yeah, but we knew they had it under control. You understand? There's a lot in this world that you may not be able to comprehend, but you know is true. And when the Bible does that, people are attacking it. Why? Well, ultimately, they want two things. They want to elevate man, okay, in our own understanding, and they want to bring the person of God to be less than he is. Why? Well, ultimately, the motive, the motive behind this, and many religions that have started uh, have started with this kind of idea in, in mind, to elevate man, man becoming like God, and to bring the person of God down to just an elevated man. What does that do? Well, it'll take God and throw him off our back. Well, God, you're just like us. You were a sinner who walked in a world like this. I mean, I'm just like you. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. The God of the Bible never is like us. Not just what he does, but in his nature and his constitution. Right? I said that we will be like him in our body. 1 John chapter 3, in verse number 1, tells us that. That a resurrected body awaits those that are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. But we will never be omniscient. Right? Think about this for a minute. The word omniscient means knowing everything. Think of the word omnipotent, all-powerful. Okay? Comprehend for a moment, you can't have a runner-up and call him all-powerful. How can we have an all-powerful and an all-powerful? Wait a minute, one of them has to be all-powerful. Okay? Because you can't have a runner-up and still call him omnipotent. And Jesus has all power. He is all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Jesus is God he is omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, and those characteristics of God have to be reserved to one person. You can't have two omnipotents. And so to bring God down and elevate man, all for the real subconscious, they maybe don't even understand it, but the whole motivation is that we will not stand before God in the relationship the Bible says. When you fall after this life, if you're not saved, falling down on your face, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. Bowing before God and saying, 
this God, the Creator, is the only God. He is the only omnipotent, and He reveals Himself as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. A relationship that God declares that we believe because we believe the Word of God, but we're not going to comprehend it all. Let's get into our outline. I'll give you, wait a minute, we're already out of time today. How would you like the first point? You write down the first point, the posture, P-O-S-T-U-R-E for the prayer. And uh, we'll look at verse number one. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said. And so this posture is Christ kind of looking with his heart, eyes. There are lots of different ways we can pray. I, I like to get on my knees and bow my head kind of like a, humble experience of getting on down on, I usually get down on the floor and pray or next to the sofa okay and uh, you say what's the right way to pray there are two things number one he had his heart reflection on God reflection reflection number two a respect for God reflection and respect so we'll give you that first point just to kind of whet your appetite and actually so I feel like I did something today all right in Sunday school so it's not, it's not that you can't pray with your hands up like this. There's people that like to do that. Anytime you're doing this where it's a show, the Bible says that's wrong. So the people come to church and they want to do this. The motivation, I mean, you say, Pastor, you're judging them. Yeah, I know, but it's a lot. You know yourself that a lot of people do things so that they can be seen. <gasps> Look at that spiritual guy. I mean, look at him. He's got his hands up. And listen, if it becomes, if you could do that, the Bible talks about lifting up holy hands in the New Testament. If you can do that without, and in your heart, you know there is nothing in your heart that is for show or for your own benefit. Praise God. Praise God. But if there involves in it any kind of pride of person, any kind of look at me, I'm spiritual... You need to come down to the altar and get your heart right with God. I, 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 I take a practice of sometimes doing that, but I do it when I'm all by myself and nobody else can see and God looks down from heaven. And I, my heart says, God, I want to respect you and adore you. I want my heart to be broken for you. And I love you. Say, so do you love God? Well, do you? Bible commands, the greatest command, love God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. People are coming in for the morning service. So let's have a word of prayer. We'll dismiss you this morning. Heavenly Father, I pray that you bless like you've blessed the last few days and the uh, convention, Lord, and turning the tide of really what could have been uh, a very dismal outcome to being the best possible outcome for this state so that our freedoms might be protected. We thank you for that. We pray for our study in this particular chapter that we would enter into your prayer closet while you walked here in this world with an awe and an amazement. Lord, with a, a, a real desire to, to observe what is deeply spiritual. Bless our morning service as we get to preaching this morning to give me wisdom and power. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.